It's time to burn one up on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll podcast. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman, and I hope your burn one lasts an hour or so, brother. Well, it's pretty long and it's pretty fat, so we're going to have to make that work. And what we're working towards is this episode of the podcast, as always, brought to you by our friends at Kirk and I Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. And we thank them for their support of this in every episode for almost forever of the imbalanced history. It is Stoner Rock, a history this week on the podcast. Man, I hope we don't forget anything. What? Oh, I forgot, dude. <laughs> I gotta say we should start in the middle, only because that's typical for us anyway. And it really kind of gets you to the point about Stoner Rock and where it was around, what, 1997? It was uh, moving along nicely. There were a lot of bands that were mentioned in the Stoner Rock scene. I know I had been turned on to a few of them at that point, and I started looking into more and more of them. And it was uh, really, a, I thought, a great time for music because of what we had happening from the 80s into the 90s. And then you had all of the branches of the 90s rock, you know, splitting and uh, making their noise. And it was really fun to hear what was coming out of bands at that time. I enjoyed that decade a lot. Well, a lot of the music that we're going to talk about in this episode of the podcast already had been on my radar and fully ingested, if you will. But in 1997, in the middle of it, as you were, Roadrunner Records put out this little uh, collection called Burn One Up, Music for Stoners. <laughs> the people who are on there are kind of indicative, and the music is indicative of what we're going to be talking about this week on the podcast. Now, the funny thing is, We've been doing our pre-gaming, and in that discussion, Queens of the Stone Age always comes up. And what do the guys always say when people ask them how they see Queens being, you know, referred to in the stoner rock history? What do they say, Marcus? They say we are not a part of that at all. We are not stoner rock band. We are a rock and roll band. Let's just Thank you. And that's where we wanted to start this episode. Even though Josh and other people from the scene that's going on now were part of the roots of the Stoner Rock movement really taking flight. We want to talk a little bit about the early days, uh, the predecessors, if you will, Marcus, the people that were there before there was there. But a lot of the bands are on this compilation that Roadrunner put out, like Karma to Burn or Fu Manchu. I 
Another one you should check out on this legendary compilation is The Head's New. What a great, fuzzy, psychedelic garage vibe. Good stuff on there. And a band that we used to play on Rockers a lot, Cathedral, and a song they did called You Know. You cannot be the same as me. in there and we talked about them before they have a song that is kind of like the core of this whole episode really how long is it dope smoker 63 minutes i think is what it's 56 minutes 63 minutes something insane like that they they Uh, couldn't release it on a piece of vinyl right it had to wait till the cd era was around for them to have a format that they could do it in right absolutely and as always, Mark is here on the podcast, the research team. They're smoking something good back there. They found it. Dope Smoker clocking in at one hour, three minutes, 29 seconds. And you can smoke a lot in an hour, 329. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to do that start at the beginning of it and send us an email to imbalance history at gmail.com at the end of it tell us how that felt part of the stoner history experience here on the podcast markets a lot of times when we explore and try to learn and relearn we remember to go back to the beginnings of things and try to find the roots if you will and for stoner rock you can find the sounds that are the core in a lot of music in the 60s blue cheers one of them right everybody talks about that Absolutely. And you have bands like the Jimi Hendrix Experience. You have bands like Jefferson Airplane, The Doors, The Velvet Underground are mentioned. Right. But- yeah, by a lot of writers, The Velvets were mentioned. And the MC5, let's not forget them. I think a lot yeah. of the crunch in Stoner Rock comes from there. And right now, right now, right now it's time to take out the jams, motherfuckers! Crazy. 
out through a yeah. lot of bands and a lot of errors in a lot of ways, if you think about it. Yes, and there was a journalist who I was reading about claimed that the Beatles' I Want You, She's So Heavy laid the foundations of stoner rock with those crunchy riffs, and that's a really interesting take. Velvet Underground, I feel like that's more of a heroin rock than a weed rock because <laughs> the whole vibe's different and it's got that really uh, dirty heroin vibe to their music and the stoner vibe is more like Jimi Hendrix or Blue Cheer or The yeah. Doors, stuff like that. The Swinging free, wide yeah, open. Moving. I get it. I get it. However, I know what they were talking about in the Beatles song. It's that kind of a grindy drone when they're building it up to the, where the, the cold end happens. It's just, you know, compared to some of the things we're going to talk about, like huh, the one I think in a lot of ways for people in their minds kind of started it all. Sweet Leaf from Sabbath, right? Starts with, <coughs> which everybody understands what's going on. And away we go, stoners. <coughs> right from the get-go they blow that smoke right in your face right at the beginning but before sabbath those sounds came from a lot of places that's what happens when you're out there trying to find your way and it seeps into a lot of bands coming down the line including a couple of our favorites like caius i mean when we got the wretch album it was on vinyl when it came in it's here in the house somewhere i couldn't believe it man it was like lo-fi but really great You know, it 
didn't have the best production values. And I listened this week again. I'm like, yeah, I love this album. It doesn't sound the best. Their next couple of records would sound so much better. And just from a approaching production standpoint. But I kind of transported a little bit. You know what I mean, man? When you get something on the turntable or in your ears and you haven't heard it in a while. And it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. You get memories. And that's part of the stoner rock experience, dude. Transporting because we're high. <laughs> That is true. And Caius, Monster Magnet, that time period were incredible. I got turned on to Caius a little late and the circus leaves town, uh, One Inch Man. at a radio station I worked at and I was just like, what is this? Oh my God, this is so good. (laughs) And we got the uh, promo cassette, which I still have. And, you know, then I started consuming the rest of their music at that point and checking out what they were about. And I really liked them. And Uh then I think that was more towards the end of their career, but monster magnet was starting to make a lot of noise at that time as well. And I really like his sounds a lot. Dave Windorf and Ed Mundell really use that old school rock and roll ravers groove and psychedelic groove and add a little booty shake to it (laughs) and give it a fuzzy stoner booty shake, I should say. And that's kind of their vibe. And it's a real upbeat. And they also have wild science fiction-y weird lyrics too. And that makes it kind of fun and different. thing about monster magnet i thought that they had been around before rockers had begun like in 88 and it turns out like they had a couple eps that came out right before they signed the big label deal but my god spine of god 
becomes part and parcel of the show. I really felt stoner rock history in progress for the first time at a monster mag show and they're just bringing it and the truck is filled to the gills like up to the second level is filled with smoke i swear to god it was pretty incredible and uh, nobody thought to open the back door and let it out i guess (laughs) monster magnet's a great live band sadly they don't play the united states as much as they play europe they've found that they've had a lot more success over in europe with bigger crowds and bigger uh, venues so they do a lot more touring over there I just had such a great time playing them from Spine of God through Super Judge and Dopes to Infinity. What a great title from that. And Power Trip, I guess you could say that was like their big, you know, ta-da, look at us, you know, top of the world, ma, A&M records, selling records all over the world. And now they do what they want. And they had a great song in the animated movie Heavy Metal 2000 called Silver Future. What kind of creature do we have here? Sonically, we've talked about a couple of things that are very obviously part of it, but the blues is the backbone of all of this. Am I right or am I right, Marcus? You're absolutely 150% correct. You are right, and you are that's, right. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. I'll take I mean, it. Definitely. The blues definitely are a part of the stoner rock, and if you, I guarantee you the old blues musicians were smoking weed. We know that for a fact, so is the old blues stoner rock, too. You were honey-badgering me just a little bit about listening to Sir Lord Baltimore, and boy, was I glad I did. Not only did it remind me that I really didn't like him that much then, the music was cool, and I really get why so many of these bands point to them this band from brooklyn the cream called heavy metal in print you know are they the godfathers of stoner rock somebody else called them that and i get why now because if you listen to the music of them crooked vultures and what was the song i said from lord baltimore that sounds so much like them kingdom come Put them side by side, dude, and I'm telling you, you can feel it. And you can feel a little of the Queens of the Stone Age in there, too. I'm not surprised by that at all, and that's something I'm definitely going to check out. But when I was listening to Sir Lord Baltimore, while their riffs and their music was similar in vibe to Black Sabbath, it didn't have the ominous darkness that Black Sabbath had. 
not even yeah, close. True. Some of the other bands I found while researching the stoner rock in the early days, another band was called Black Cat Bones. It had Paul Kossoff and Simon Kirk, who later formed Free with Paul Rogers and Andy Fraser in it. And I was listening to their music, and it was a heavy, dirty blues, like a fuzzy, dirty blues. They turned into another band called Leaf Hound, and... They also had that sort of vibe, like almost an upbeat Black Sabbath vibe because it wasn't as gloomy and doomy and dark as what Black Sabbath was putting out at that time. Well, we got into the discussion about the bluesy influence all this with Sir Lord Baltimore, but they also make reference in a lot of circles to Zeppelin's influence, the blues, the fat blues riffs that Page was famous for. And you got to bring up Tony Iommi's drop D tuning and his unique way he played, you know, partially because of his finger, right? Yep. But man, his notes kind of shook you when you heard him for the first time. He smacked you upside the head and you're like, what the fuck is that? I'll tell you what it is. It's the drop D tuning power of the devil's integer. Yes. Well, it all comes around to grind together in the minds and hearts of the musicians who were influenced by those guys, by Page, by Tony, by all the other people, even Sir Lord Baltimore. And you can see the connection between him and them Crooked Vultures and other bands if you go and listen to it. And before we get to the break, I got to tell you, man, one of the great things for me was going back and rediscovering two bands. Oh, well, I, I listened to Clutch a fair amount of the time anyway, but them and Fu Manchu were two bands when they came on the scene. We started playing them on Rockers, and I guess Clutch got a bigger reaction and has lasted longer. Dodge Swinger, 1973. Galaxy 500 Out the way Stars green Gotta go Dodge Swinger 1973 Top down Chassis low Panel dim Light drive Jesus on the dashboard T-minus whenever it feels right Galaxy 500 Planets align A king is born the hell out of both of them whenever their records have come out and i've re-realized why the spark in both of those bands i mean space grass man that's one of the quintessential get stoned and listen to this shit songs oh yeah clutch one of the most important bands of the 90s who doesn't get enough credit and fu manchu another band who doesn't get the credit they deserve as well for their contributions to music in the 90s and today great band I know we're talking about stoners and stoner rock, but let's go get a pint at the uh, Eye, Crooked Eye in Hapra. Why not? The fall is here and Crooked Eye is rocking in the heart of Hatboro. The Crooked Eye band will be there 
every second Saturday of the month. If you follow them on Facebook, you can find out what is happening at Crooked Eye. And of course, their amazing selection of beers. The brews are always delicious and experimental in many cases. Check out the board on their Facebook account. They always put a fresh picture of the board up there. And something happened recently. We've been talking about Salty Vets Barbecue, which is available on certain nights at uh, the brewery. Matt posted about uh, an incredible experience they had where they were really like pushing hard and uh, orders were overwhelming and ended up in recent weeks, like two weeks before we record this, had their best day ever at Salty Vets Barbecue, selling great barbecue to people and working hard doing it. It's good stuff. And it's all part of the energy there, Crooked Eye, where you go, you make new friends, you have a good time, and whatever you want, whether it's the tasty brews that come from the back room there at the brewery, uh, craft cocktails, they've got wine and cider, and of course, that Salty Vets Barbecue. Always a good time to be had when you head down to Hapro and make a crooked eye. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Back and refreshed, and I filled the bowl, and we're ready to go on part two of Stoner Rock, a history on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Marcus, I came across a band name, and I think you know them just because you also do a lot of funky research, and I had forgotten their name, but I saw it. I laughed out loud, and Maurice is like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, oh, it's only King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that name. King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard. Oh, no, it's the Lizard Wizard. I can't get it straight because I've been <laughs> hanging out with King Gizzard. I was thinking about it during the break, man. And, you know, one of the things at Windorf monster mag did was they lengthened the groove does that make sense and i think that encouraged others maybe sleep went a little too far but it encouraged others to do the same but 
I'm finding like depending on the band. I mean, the grooves are different. There's some grooves that are like more metal sludgy and doomy, and and like they take the darkness of Black Sabbath to the whole next level. And I got to be honest with you, if I'm copping a buzz, I don't know if that's the kind of vibe I want because I want to be <laughs> a little more happy and upbeat during my buzz. Something. That's- well. Be kind of bounce and groove like a monster magnet, like a Queens of the Stone Age, even though they don't fit in that block. Like, uh, you know, a band that's got a vibe to them. And I think that's why that one article that we were talking about that showed influences of Cream, the fuzz guitar sound that kind of like fuels a lot of the upper end. They mentioned Sabbath. I think that's obvious. And I get what they're saying about Deep Purple because when they're driving the bus on that song, and not a lot of stoner rock bands have like the big organ sound, but it does have that same kind of wall coming at you. around the Hawkwind, which is all about stoner rock before it was ever called that, I guess. And... I always can turn to someone that we share uh, space with here on the Pantheon Podcast Network, the great Martin Popoff, and he said, yeah, Hawkwind, definitely one of those under-celebrated founding stones in Stoner Rock. So you kind of got to go with that. He also, of course, pointed the obvious Sweet Leaf out. And, you know, it's Ozzy's love song to weed. And given his problems and his problems with alcohol as a ute, I really think that smoking weed might have helped, you know, keep him on the straighter path, better path. I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. Garage Rock has come up a lot in the influence and the bands like the Sonics. And, you know, you had bands like the Zombies, even the Yardbirds. Some of their stuff had sort of that psychedelic groove to it as well. So, so I love the fact that the psychedelic factor plays into many aspects of the stoner rock because I love the psychedelic rock. You mean the cool names aren't enough? Like Bong Ripper? Or, or Demon Cleaner, another favorite. Demon Cleaner is named after a Kaya song. I've got to demos, I've got to rush them all. 
I was listening to it earlier. <laughs> I'm not shitting you. Also, one of my favorites, Fatso Jetson, Part Chimp, and Yob. All these kind of wacky names are floating around in the scene, and you always have that. And then somebody comes out with a basic name, like Trouble. It was doom in progress. They weren't quite there yet. But I remember when I found them, the first two albums were definitely a lot of fun to play on the radio. Love, let's just start from here. Reach as far as we can see. Tell them you came to look in my eyes. You saw the morning appear in the skies, yeah. Come on, baby, touch the sky. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes records just kind of go by and bands come to town, they sell a bunch of tickets, and then maybe after a couple of tours, you don't hear from them. That was trouble. And kind of the same story with Cathedral, who I really felt initially was being kind of worked to us as more of a straight metal thing, turned out to be, well, different than that. Some of the names that I found, and one of the bands that I remember from the 90s include a band called Goat Snake, which is Pete Stahl, vocalist of Scream, and his brother and one of their bands that they did in the 90s. I remember being turned on to Goat Snake back in the late 90s. I recommend you check them out. Pete Stahl's vocals are fantastic. Ghost in the schoolyard screams out, laugh and play. They're one of the many bands that were part of Meteor City, right? Mm-hmm. 60 Watt Shaman, we've heard of them. Lowrider, the Atomic Bitchwax, Dozer. Natas. Red Fang. Yeah, Red Fang popped up today. Mm-hmm. And I got into that song, Wires of Theirs. Man, you got to put that in here. That thing was so hot. And I'm like, how can I not have heard or remember to have heard this band and this song before? And that's the fucking great thing of doing this podcast, pal. We're always finding and refinding stuff. But I really thought Red Fang was a great discovery here on this adventure. The Kings of Frog Island was a name that I found late, and I now have to absolutely check out their music, so I will be checking out their music.
but also on some of the list, bands like uh, Black NASA, Black Moth, Beaver, Acrimony, Corrosion of Conformity. And I thought it was really interesting that COC made the list because I see them as more punk and metal, maybe hybrid versus the stoner rock. Put on Albatross, take a puff, talk to me in four minutes. I gotta ask you a question. Okay. A lot of the stoner rock band lists that I've looked at include Melvins. Do you think they really belong in there? Uh, no. The Melvins are the Melvins, and they're kind of like their own genre in a lot of ways, like how Sonic Youth has done their own thing. The Melvins have done their own thing, and, and right. E stoner rock, no. Melvins, yes. And the Melvin style, yes. I feel like you could say the same thing about Soundgarden, and a lot of people want to put them in there. I don't know. The sludgy of those first couple of albums up to Bad Motor Finger, I can see why. Bad Motor Finger, is, to me, is just pure raw power, just punch-you-in-the-face raw power. And I love that album, one of my all-time favorites. But those earlier albums before Bad Motor Finger... I think have that stony, sludgy vibe to them, like a slowed down <laughs> Zeppelin Sabbath type of grind. Oh, God, that's why I love them so much. I love those albums, too. They're so good. All right, so somewhere in the process, as we were getting ready for this episode, I'm doing that whole them crooked vultures connection to Sir Lord Baltimore thing in my head, right? And then Tame Impala comes on, and I'm like, fuck. They fit this sonically. They fit right in there. And I don't know how I didn't hear that before. Going to have to listen to them, Crooked Vultures, Tame Impala, and Sir Lord Baltimore back to back to back. But that's a wild comparison. But it makes sense. I mean, think about it. John Paul Jones was rocking in that time. Those guys all knew all those guys. They knew who they were. And Dave Grohl, being a music kid, knew who they all were as well. So... You had the influence. Josh Homme knew all those bands. Those guys all know their music history really well. And they have Alan Johannes as well playing with them. So you have four musicians who know their music history. It makes sense that they would pull from an obscure band or, or reference or be influenced by some of these obscure bands that maybe they feel we should know more about. Right. And we've touched on a lot of the bands that you need to know about in this discussion. A couple that we haven't talked about, CKY, who I don't know much about, but they're on this list. That's Bam Margera's Brothers Band. With the
kind of a hard rock. Uh, you, I don't know if they're really stoner rock. You mentioned Dozier. They're on here next to yep. Down, which is a spinoff from Pantera and COC. And it's a New Orleans band. So I don't, you yeah, know, a lot of stoners down there for sure. Listen, man, I'm going to put on some Fireball Ministry and we're just going to chill, all right? Oh, we could go all day, you know, talking about Nebula and Neurosis and Night Stalker. Can we stop there or should I say Orange Goblin, who are really pretty good, by the way? No, baby. Spiritual beggars, you have stoner, you have the sword, you have weed eater, wind weed eater. I love that one. Witch, which witch is it the stone know. witch or the switch witch? Which witch is which? I don't know which witch. I don't know. See, that name's too long, man. This one you didn't, I don't think you mentioned Uncle Acid in the Deadbeats. Come on, that's a good one. <laughs> Woo! But what's that lyric? Are we having fun yet? <laughs> what about the happy band pulled apart by horses? All right. And on that note, <laughs> Dr. Marcus's discussion of stoner rock band names must conclude. Uh, you all have your homework assignment. Make sure you listen to each and every one of the bands that he pointed out to you for this week's lesson planner. Thank you very much. Well, maybe we should just encourage people to go be adventurous on your music service. And uh, if you listen to us and then you go listen to Caius, you will uh, all of their listening on all of the services and they'll become a, a trending band again. It could happen, Marcus. It could. Tell me it could. It could. It could. And in an interview before the recent Queens of the Stone Age tour happened this last summer, Josh Homme said that he was open to a final Caius tour because he thinks that they should have done one more and shouldn't have ended the way they did. I ain't arguing with that ever. All right, let's get down the road till the next time that we can get together. You've got two cents to add to this whole conversation about Stoner Rock sitting there with your bong still, you know, 
gently circulating the smoke into the room. So pick up your device and send it to imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. And whatever comes after that, we'll figure it out. Yes, please interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Thank you very much. I got to thank Matt from Detroit for posting up one of his five faves right on our Facebook post. So thanks, Matt, for always being a trooper. And we thank you all for your support of what we do here each week on the imbalanced history. Thanks to our friends at Crooked Eye at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro. We got to get down there and see them together and uh, surprise them. We'll bring some recording equipment or something and scare the hell out of everybody one night. That'll be fun, right? (laughs) I had fun recording in the beer room. Sneak attack! So let's wrap it up from the Dark Doc Media Studios. I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this has been Stoner Rock, a history on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.